0: The last verse of that hymn that we just sang began like this. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. I want you to think about those words for a minute. Every joy comes from above and is traced on the dial of your life by the Son of Love. Do you believe that? Every joy that comes is from above. But notice what else it says. Every trial falls from above. Traced upon your dial by the son of love. Do you believe that every trial and difficulty you go through is from above? What is that telling us about the nature of our God and who he is to us in Christ? That every joy... And every hard thing, every blessing, and every crisis, everything falls from above. It's the one who works all things together for good to them who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now, last week we looked at a particular blessing that all of the disciples got to participate in. It was the miracle that we call the feeding of the 5,000, but really it was probably far more than 5,000, perhaps as much as 15 or 20,000 or more. Jesus miraculously creating food for this group from five meager loaves and two small fish. And the disciples would have had the opportunity to participate in the miracle. Suddenly there's just bread. It's multiplying in front of their eyes, and they are the ones taking it out and feeding people. They're distributing the food. They're the waiters. They had seen it with their own eyes. And what we talked about last week was that really this was a teaching lesson to them. We sometimes focus on a 5,000 miracle to the 5,000, but really the, the, the heart of the message was to the disciples. That's why Jesus says to them, you give them to eat. So that they would say, Jesus, we don't have the money to do that. He was teaching them something. And then as he continued on to to say, go make them sit down, they just thought, how ridiculous is this? We don't have food for this. But nonetheless, they obeyed and they went and did it. And then they saw the miracle. And as we talked about, where did it end last week? What was the ultimate lesson that Jesus taught them? Remember, they were on a ministry retreat. They were exhausted. They needed some time away. They needed some vacation. And now, suddenly, they're ministering on their vacation. They're serving people. And they undoubtedly could have been a little irritated. I thought we were going to be getting a break, Jesus. How many baskets were left of the feeding of the 5,000? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. One for each as Jesus was teaching them, even when your plans get interrupted, even when your vacation gets cut short, I still care for you. It was a lesson. And then we come this week, and we ask ourselves, did they get the lesson? Did they understand what seems to us to be an obvious lesson? And then we turn to Mark chapter 6 to... One of the most remarkable, of course we keep saying this each week, but this one truly is, Jesus walking on water. And we get to the end of this passage that Kevin read for us today, and we see that he went up, the, up into them, under them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore, amazed in themselves beyond a measure. They were out of their minds. They, they were, their minds were blown by this, and wondered. They were astonished, and listen to this. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They were amazed at Jesus' miracle, and it was not a good thing. It was the sign that their hearts had been hardened. They really didn't understand what Jesus had been teaching them before. Have you ever had a pop quiz? I mean, in school, did you ever have a pop quiz? The teacher showed up and says, we're going to have a quiz today. And you said, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't do the reading. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I didn't watch what I was supposed to watch. Jesus gave his disciples here a pop quiz. And the sad thing is, they failed. They failed. But there's good news. There's good news that even though they failed, there was a lesson that Jesus had For them even in this the title of the message this morning is a test on the water a test on the water and I want to look again at this miraculous sign of Jesus suspending the laws of nature to walk on water as being a test to his disciples and ultimately another teaching opportunity in their acceptance of him by faith Let's understand, first of all, we're just going to ask three questions about this test. What was the test? What was it about? And how did they fare? How did they do on the test? What was their grade on the test? And we're going to look at this in three ways. First, what was the test? We're going to call it the crisis. The crisis of the disciples. Isn't it so often that Jesus tested his disciples in crises? In hard things? In difficulties? Isn't that true for you? I look back to my life. What were the times in life when I had the greatest growth spiritually? It was in my hardest seasons of life. It was when I realized at 25 years old that I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and they thought it was cancer. Well, it turned out not to be. It was removed successfully. God delivered me. He came into my life in a real way at that point, in, in a reality. That was a hard time. It was a crisis when we have suffered the loss of loved ones, my father or other people that we have loved. These are times, I can say personally in my life, are the times when my faith grew the most. And it's probably true with you. What were the greatest times of growth spiritually in your life in crisis? God often works through us intentionally in crisis. Every joy or trial falls from above. And here again, the disciples are in crisis. Let's understand what's going on here. If you look with me at Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, and we'll just work through this passage together. Verse 45 says, And straightway, or immediately, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. So just imagine this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. His 12 disciples each have a knapsack full of food for their dinner. And it's about dusk. It's about the early evening of the day. And Jesus tells his disciples, you get into the ship and go to the other side. Where did they come from? Remember, they came, to the sh- they came from the other side to the other side of Galilee so they'd have a, a break, a retreat, a vacation, and that got interrupted because the people found them there, and suddenly they're ministering to them. Now they finish that one day, and Jesus says, get back in the boat and go back to where we were to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they get into the ship. They go off. Jesus sends the people away. And look at verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now, just one note about that. How easy for for, uh, for us is it when we go through a difficult season, when we're tired, when we've been ministering and serving people a lot, it drives us away from prayer? We say, Oh, I, I can't spend time in prayer, I'm exhausted. Well, what did Jesus do when he was at the end of a really heavy day of ministry? That's when he said, I need to go pray. That's when he was craving communion with his Father. So up he goes into a mountain. Off he goes into a, into a secluded hill to pray, undoubtedly overlooking the Sea of Galilee, as we'll see. Now notice verse 47. And when even was come, or evening, it was now fully night. The ship was in the midst of the sea. It was in the middle of this lake of Galilee, and he alone on the land in prayer. And look at verse 48. And he saw them toiling in rowing. They were rowing the boat. For the wind was contrary unto them. It was against them. It was in their face. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon The sea. Now, notice here a few things. Why were the disciples in the boat? Why were they in the boat? Who told them? Jesus did. Jesus did. In other words, they were in the middle of the lake because they were obeying. And friends, do you know sometimes obeying Jesus will lead you into a crisis? And it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Sometimes obeying Jesus, sometimes we obey what God wants us to do and then things go hard on us and we look at him and we say, what, God? No. Obeying God sometimes leads us into hard things, into seasons of crisis. And that's exactly where they were. And notice that the circumstances were entirely against them. The wind was contrary. The wind was in their face. And they were struggling. Now, we learn from the book of John John also tells us about this account. In the middle of the night, they had made it about 25 or 30 furlongs. Do you know how long a furlong is? It's an issue of measurement we don't use very often, but the Romans did. A furlong was about an eighth of a mile. That means that if they had gone 25 or 30 furlongs, they had gone about three and a half miles rowing. Now remember, the Sea of Galilee is only about six or seven miles across. So they had either just made it over halfway, but they still had some room to go. It's not like they were right up against the shore. Now you say, well, why does it matter that they'd gone three and a half miles? Is this, because when did Jesus come to them? What does our Bible say? Do you see in Mark 6? What time was it? The fourth watch of the night. Okay, now we got to do some little more Roman history. The Romans divided their evenings into four watches. The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second watch was from 9 p.m. to midnight. The third watch was from midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then 6 a.m., the sun's coming up and the night's over. So if Jesus was coming to them in the fourth watch of the night, that means he was coming to them between 3 and 6 a.m., and when did he push off? When did he shove them off? When did he tell them to get into the boat? In the early evening? So that tells me, let's just, let's just hypothesize, that they left at about 8 p.m., and let's say that Jesus showed up on the water at 4 a.m. in the fourth watch of the night. How long had they been rowing for? Eight hours. How many of you have ever been rowing for eight hours straight when the wind is directly in your face? These were sailors. These were fishermen. These these guys knew the water. And all they knew is Jesus told them to get across the lake. And so there they go. Now, I remember a little bit of this. About a decade ago, a little more maybe, Luke and I um, took some of the young men, teenagers, from the city here to go to the boundary waters. And there were some times that it was just so nice. We had these canoes. We were going down very nicely. And then there were some other times. We got on a big lake, and the wind was right in our face. The winds, the the waves were whipping up. Luke will remember this. And we're sitting there paddling, and we're hardly moving. And that was just a very, very small example of what these guys would have been facing for eight hours. Do you know what happens when you're in that kind of scenario? Not only do you get physically exhausted, you get a little emotionally exhausted too. I remember this when we were on that canoe trip. When the going got tough, guess who we were noticing? The 14-year-old who was dipping for lilies on the top of the water. Ooh, this is great. And we're in the back, we're going crazy. And we'd say, come on, you lily dipper, what are you doing? Get your paddle in the water. What what happens, our, our nerves start to get a little frayed. In fact, there was one time that we were there and we had to portage across this, this, this significant land mass and we, they called it the Shorty 340. That was because it was 340 rods long. A rod is 16 and a half feet. You do the math, that's over a mile. In other words, we're getting out of the water, we're getting onto land with sloppy, wet boots, we're hoisting a 40, 50 pound canoe on our shoulders or a 60-plus pound pack and walking a mile across unstable ground. You would not believe some of these city boys, myself included, these city boys dealing with this. We got to the end of that, and one of them, who used to come here for years, you know, some of you would know him if I said him, he, he gets to the end, and he gets in the water after that shorty 340, and he got so frustrated, he just pushed the canoe off. And he's just like, I'm, I'm sick of this, and he was so mad, and he pushed it away. And we just kind of looked at him. How do you think you're getting out of here? We're in the middle of nowhere, buddy. That's your ticket out. That boat right there. You better, you better you better, not. And sure enough, to his credit, he calmed down. He got back in the boat, and we got out of there. But what's the point? When you're working for eight hours and only going three and a half miles, less than one mile an hour, about a third of a mile an hour, You're going to get grumpy at each other. You're going to get fed up. You're going to get irritated. And this word here that says Jesus saw them toiling in rowing, it's the idea of being vexed. It's the idea of being tormented. These guys were at their wits and physically and emotionally. They were in an absolute crisis. And that's why we need to see, secondly, this not only what was the test, but what was the test about What was being tested? And I want to suggest, secondly, that what the test was about was the character of Christ. Because notice what happens here. Verse 49 says, I'm sorry, verse 48, and he saw them toiling in rowing. Now, how did he see them? Was it a full moon? Was it a starry night? I don't know. It could have just been his supernatural sight because they were a few miles out now. But he saw them. That is, he cared about them. He wasn't sending them out to ignore them or to punish them. He was observing how they were doing. Not only that, notice, the fourth watch of the night, about 3 or 4 a.m. perhaps, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. Now, don't let this shake your faith. Some people have said, I can't believe that a human being could walk on the water. Of course not. But what about when that was the person who made the law of gravity, who created the law of gravity? Why should it be strange to us that the one who created the law of gravity can control the law of gravity? Is that that confusing to us? The one who made all of the world and all of its physical laws can step in and modify them at any point if he pleases. Would it be surprising to us that one who invented a machine would know how it works and would be able to alter and modify it however he wanted for a particular purpose? No, that wouldn't be surprising. And in the same way, Jesus, who was the creator of all of nature's laws, at any point could step in and modify and control them as he pleased. And here, this is exactly what he did. And I just want you to imagine... Jesus walking across a wavy, bumpy sea with the wind blowing directly in his face and just stepping as if it is solid ground. Now, this morning I was leading singing upstairs with our kids as they were coming in, and I asked him, I told him what I was preaching about this morning, and I said, can any of you walk on water? And a little imp, he was an elky boy, Nick, you'll be, you'll be pleased by that. He said, yes. I said, oh, you can He said, on ice. (laughs) Clever boy. Clever boy. But no, I, I, I quickly informed him Jesus wasn't walking on ice, buddy, okay? Jesus wasn't walking on ice. He was walking like he was solid ground. Now, notice how the disciples responded. Look at verse 49. But when they saw him walking upon the sea... They supposed it had been a spirit, a ghost, and they cried out, they shrieked in terror. Now, we don't believe in ghosts because scripture doesn't teach it. Scripture teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, not to be floating around spooking people here and there. The Bible teaches us that there is a place where people go when they die, a kind of a holding pen, if you will, and for judgment or for mercy for salvation. Jesus teaches about this in the parable of Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. But whatever the case is here, these men's superstition is at least understandable. I mean, what would you think if it were four in the morning and your nerves were entirely shot because of what you'd been going through for the last eight hours and you saw someone in the pitch black of night walking on top of the water? How would you have responded? I probably would have shrieked out too. They thought it was a ghost. They were utterly blown away. And now notice, for they all saw him and were troubled, verse 50, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, be of good cheer. The idea here is take courage. Buck up. Don't be scared. Because he says, it is I, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. It's just me. It's not a ghost. It's me. Now, notice a couple of things about Jesus here. Number one, he cares about them, to be seeing them. Number two, he cares about them to be quieting their fear and say, it's just me. I'm coming here to help. And then notice what else he does. Verse 51, and he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased immediately. The wind stopped. In other words, the one who controlled nature to walk on it was the one who controlled nature immediately to see that the storm, the wind, was ceased. He controlled nature entirely. Now, why do I say that I think this test was about their understanding of the character of Jesus, of who Jesus actually was, because of what comes next? Let's see, thirdly, not just the crisis, not just the character of Christ, but how did these disciples fare? What was their condition? What was their condition? Notice with me again in verse 51. And they were sore, amazed in themselves beyond measure. They were astonished beyond measure and wondered. They marveled at this. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Would you have been amazed? I mean, how couldn't you have been, right? How couldn't you have been amazed that you saw a man walking on water? There was no conception in, in your thinking for that. They saw it. And then for Jesus to get in the boat and for the wind to cease. Well, they had seen that before. Remember we looked earlier in Mark chapter 4 when they went to Jesus in the back of the boat and woke him up. Don't you care that we're perishing, that we're dying, and Jesus gets up and rebukes the sea and suddenly it's immediately calm? So they had at least seen that, but they had never seen someone walking on water before. Why does Mark say they were amazed beyond measure and wondered Because, for, because they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Mark is telling us that they failed the test. They didn't get it. Why? What did it reveal about them? It revealed a hard heart. Now, we need to think about this a little bit. Maybe this is not clicking for us. Why does their amazement at what Jesus did reveal a hard heart? Let me give an example. This example, actually, I've modified from one of the great English preachers, Charles Simeon. If you've never read Charles Simeon or never heard what he preached, he was a wonderful man of God, a wonderful preacher. Charles Simeon gave an example that I'm going to modify and, and modernize a little bit. I want you to imagine that there was one of us in our body that just really fell into a difficult trial, a difficult crisis, and there were some really important practical needs that that person needed to have met. And Luke were to be the one who stepped into that breach and just met the needs sacrificially, servant-heartedly. Maybe there were financial needs. Maybe there were just physical needs, cleaning out the basement, doing this, getting the leaves out of the gutter, whatever it was. And Luke just take care, took care of it. And the word went around the church, not boasting, but just, here's what Luke did. He spent an entire weekend doing this. And I want you to imagine that the, that the, that the reaction of all of us was, Luke? Luke did that? Whoa, Luke, I never thought you had it in you, buddy. You could have, I could, I could have named 10 other people that I thought might have done that, but Luke, really? Now, would, would, that be a, would that be a testimony to Luke if we were to be shocked that he did something servant-hearted? Of course not. It would be an insult if we were just blown away that Luke would have done this. Well, thankfully, those of us who know Luke wouldn't be shocked by him doing that. But you get the idea. To be amazed by something is to suggest, wow, I never could have seen that coming. Now do you see why it was hardness of heart? They shouldn't have been amazed. You say, they shouldn't have been amazed by someone walking on water? No. They shouldn't have been amazed in this sense What had the miracle of the loaves taught them? Remember what Mark says. They didn't consider. The idea there of that word, every other time it's used in Mark, it's translated understand. The idea is they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. What did the miracle of the loaves teach them? The miracle of the loaves should have taught them that sometimes God's people run into crises when when their resources appear too short. They've got no control over the situation. It should have taught them that Jesus cares to solve their crisis, to step in when they are in trouble. And it should have taught them that Jesus controls all of nature in order to deliver his people in their time of crisis. If Jesus could turn five loaves and two small fish into enough food for fifteen or 20,000 people, overruling the laws of nature... Why should the disciples have been shocked that when they were in a boat in the middle of a storm, Jesus would make sure they got out okay? Why should they have been surprised? Why should they have been amazed by that? Why should they have marveled? It was the hardness of their heart. They didn't truly understand the character of Jesus, that he cared deeply about them, that he was committed to their well-being, and that he controlled the laws of nature to ensure that his care of them would be fulfilled. And in their amazement, they revealed the hardness of their own heart as to his character. Can we stop there for just a minute? How many times has God delivered you in your time of crisis, in your trial, in your difficulty, He's come through over and over and over again, hasn't he? Wouldn't if we just had a testimony time here this morning and go, went around the room and say, you tell me a time when God stepped in in your time of crisis, we'd be going for an hour at least, and probably more than that. Why is it that we still are surprised when Jesus comes in in, in, in trouble and delivers us once again? Why are we amazed? Why, even more so, are we anxious in the first place? Why would we be? He cares about us. He sees us. He has all power over everything. Why would I doubt? Why would I be anxious? Why would I worry? And why would I be surprised when he comes through once again? You see, friends, the same hardness of heart that afflicted the disciples can afflict us. And does afflict us over and over again. You see, this is the thing that is so important and I hope is coming through as we go through this series together. This book right here, this gospel of Mark even that we've been going through, is not to give you an intellectual awareness of who God is only. It's not merely for you to say, there are some wonderful stories in here about Jesus. I just love those stories. It's not even to amaze you about who Jesus is. I hope this book does amaze you at who Jesus is, but that's not the only point. The point of this book is to change the way you live. It's, not, it's to get past your mind and get to your heart so it affects you, so that it begins changing the way you live and turning you to be more like Christ. You see, if these disciples' hearts hadn't been hardened, what would it look like? have looked like in the boat? To be rowing and saying, Jesus, I know Jesus is there, and I know he's not going to let us down this time. We just saw the miracle of the 5,000 loaves. He's going to take care of us. I'm not worried, guys. Let's keep on going. That's what it would have looked like. And for you and for me, in our crises and in our trials of life and in our difficulties, what this book is trying to teach us is that you, if you are a Christian here this morning, you're the child of God. You're the child of the creator of the universe who therefore controls the universe. You are the one who need not worry one thought about tomorrow. As Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care for the things of itself. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about my provision for you. I'm your father. I take care of the birds of the air. Don't you think I'll take care of you? Don't you think? What is he trying to tell us? Don't be shocked by God's power. Depend on it entirely like a little child Because his work, his word, has penetrated our hearts and begun changing the way we think and the way we act. What about us? Is our heart hardened? Have we heard the things of who Jesus is over and over and over and over again and yet failed to allow them to sink into our hearts? You see, what is the missing ingredient here? What was the thing that ultimately was missing for the disciples? It was faith. They didn't truly embrace who Jesus was at their heart level to allow it to control their lives. They failed the test. But here's, I think, one of the most wonderful things to me about this whole passage. It's that that wasn't the end of the test. You say, what do you mean? Mark doesn't record it here in Mark chapter 6. And so I want to go to one of the other parallel accounts to see what this test led to. Will you go with me to Matthew chapter 14? Go to Matthew chapter 14. We don't always do this, but today I think there's a real purpose behind it. Matthew chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 32. This is just the end of this story. Now, maybe if you're looking at Matthew chapter 14, you'll see that Matthew chapter 14 records Peter walking on the water and then almost sinking. Do you remember that part of the story as well? You say, why didn't Mark include that in his narrative? Do you remember very early back when we were talking about the book of Mark, when we were introducing it, we asked, who was Mark's source for this gospel? There are many contextual clues to suggest it was Peter. I can kind of see Peter in my mind's eye. Mark is sitting there with his, with his, with his little quill and his papyrus, and he's saying, okay, Pe- Peter, tell me about that on the water. What happened there? And Peter recounts the story, and then he says, and Mark says, but well, Peter, you walked on the water too, didn't you? And can't you just see Peter saying, oh, let's, let's not include that part. Let's not include that part. W- w- that'll be covered elsewhere. Let's not include that. Well, that's a little bit of speculation. Maybe it's fanciful, but I think that's probably the reason it's not included, or at least a good guess. But notice what happens here. Verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Now, what what are you saying? These disciples were amazed because they hadn't fully understood the miracle of the loaves. But do you know what the glorious thing was? When Jesus got into the boat and the wind ceased, they got it. They understood who Jesus was as the Son of God, and they worshipped. In fact, the very next day, if you were to look at John chapter 6, when you see Jesus preaching about the bread of life to his disciples and all these people deserting him, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Are you going to go too? And do you know what Peter says? Well, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here these disciples had moved from hardened hearts, not understanding the miracle of the loaves, not embracing the character of Christ, and now Jesus walking on the water has overcome the hardness of their hearts, and they are falling down before him and worshiping him as the Son of God. You see, this is a little bit more speculation But what do you think Jesus was praying for up on that mountain when he sent them into a ship and left? Do you think he was praying, Father, reveal who I am to them. Father, draw them to yourself. Father, help them to see who I am. And then he went to them walking on the water, overcoming the hardness of their hearts, and revealing himself as the Son of God to be worshipped and to be trusted. The truth of it is, friends, this lesson is not only for those of you who need to hear the character of Jesus to help in your spiritual life. This lesson is for those of you who have heard the message of Jesus over and over again. You've even been amazed by some of the stories, but you've never humbled yourself before Jesus and accepted him by faith for who he truly is. You've never worshipped him as the son of God. You've never embraced him as your savior, as the only forgiver of your sins, as the only deliverer from our eternal judgment. You have never accepted Jesus as who he is. Would you see this morning that ultimately all of God's designs here were to draw his disciples to worship Jesus and embrace him as their Savior and as their Lord. Whatever crisis you're in this morning, friend, whatever test you're in, whatever difficulty you're in on the waves of your life, would you today see the character of Jesus, draw near to him by faith, and embrace him for who he truly is? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this test on the water. We see ourselves in the disciples. We see how prone we are to wander. We see how, how prone we are to have hardened hearts and not to humbly accept Jesus for who he is. And I pray this morning, Father, for each one who is here, perhaps it's one who has heard much about who Jesus is but has never embraced him as their savior. They've never humbled themselves before him. But also, I, perhaps this, this is for someone here who needs to be convinced in a greater way about who Jesus is. They need to accept him in, their, in, the, in the storm of their life today. I pray, Father, that you would do this work in each of our hearts.